0: The following message is being transmitted at the request of the Boundless Pod Trap movie review and the guys of the BPT. What you are about to hear contains spoilers to movies. If you don't want to hear these spoilers please disengage your listening device at this time. If you can't handle those with a possible differing view on a movie, you may also want to disengage your listening device at this time. Stay tuned for a movie review that only the guys at the Boundless Pod Trap can give you. Hey. Get into it. I can groove to this. Hey. I listen to this all day. <laughs> now we're back at it. Yeah. What's happening guys? This is a uh, episode Z- MP M- BPTMR003. This is the third episode of the Movie Review Podcast with the Boundless Pod Trap. I use way too many. Speech impediments are a
2: real thing. Oh.
1: <laughs> Just Don't, make <laughs> <of>. <laughs> Don't make
2: fun of
1: me. Don't make fun of We haven't got one of these intros right on any of these You're, episodes. He's like, MTV,
0: VH1. Oh, that's, uh, oh, what's his name uh, on MTV? I could not stand the, what's his name, the jockey dude. <sighs> Dan Cortez? Nope, Idiot. not him. MTV, uh, uh, fuck. Downtown Judy Brown. Yeah. So. Hot. What's up, guys? we I loved her. Okay. I think we got an awesome, uh, movie review here. Yeah. Well, at least I do. I don't know if you guys do, but I do. Oh shit. It's, it's going to be right on point. So let's just jump right into it. Right now we are going to be covering 1995's Passion of Darkly Noon. It's written and directed by London Phillips Ridley. Uh, he's also known for The Craze, The Reflecting Skin, and The Heartless. Have any of you guys seen any of those? I have not. I have not, no. I've seen the trailers to The Heartless. What uh, It looked like a really awesome one. And there's a few actors, or at least one important actor, that's in this Darkly Noon movie. He's also in The Reflecting Skin. It stars 27-year-old Brennan Fraser coming off of the Airheads the year before and 27-year-old Ashley Judd before she reached a larger credit. Also has Lord of the Rings Aragorn. He kind of has a mute role. Played by Vito Mortensen, kind of, yeah. kind of. He did. Have he, a mute he clicked. Roll. Yeah. He clicked, and uh, he, he he whistled, and yeah, did fucking
1: magic
0: for a guy who speaks seven languages. They kept his mouth shut in this film, and a key role played by <laughs> and Grace.
1: It's best role ever. <laughs>
0: no, a key role played by uh, Grace Zabriskie, who's been in other horror movies, which you guys might be familiar with. Absolutely. And she's Grace. Pool in Child's Play. She's been in Tales from the Crypts. She's also in Armageddon. That's not a horror, but you guys love that one. There's also in the, They Crawl and The Grudge, and she's big on Twin Peaks. She is Twin Peaks. Yeah. Ooh, what does that mean?
1: She is the most influential character <laughs> on the <laughs> series. Twin I thought Peaks. he was
0: going somewhere else with uh, that. Uh-huh. <laughs> this movie is a very, I mean, as Jeremy said in the previous BPT episode, that this was probably a, a my type of film. And by my, I mean a Justin <sighs> type, of type of film. Justino. Yeah. That's a me. It's a me. You'll still be Louis. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but you uh, know, this was actually ranked in the top 10 of uh, the Daily Telegraph's list of 50 most underrated films of all time. I like to think so too, because this is probably one of my favorite, well, underrated film for sure. It's like a B-rated. I, I don't know if I want to consider it a B-rated, because... With a few tweaks, it could have been A-lister, I think. It has, like, a 12-cast movie, uh, 13, or 14, if you want to consider the dog and the elephant. Yeah. There are 14
1: people in the it? The elephant is There's 12 cast. people but in it. And they it. all
0: came at the very fucking end. <laughs> There's 12 people in okay. it, Yeah. yeah. The Internet Movie Database synopsis, it says a young man who has spent his life as a member of an ultra conservative Christian cult loses his parents and becomes disoriented, wandering into a forest and meeting a coffin transporter, a caring woman, her mute boyfriend and his mother. It's ranked as a or listed as a drama mystery thriller. Internet Movie Database has gave this a ranking of 5.9 out of 10. Rotten Tomatoes put it at 44% of the tomato reader with a 50, 55% audience score. Personally, I would have to give it a 9.7. What about you, boys? You only did that because I said we're giving tens out
2: willy-nilly. <laughs> oh, no, there's there's things I would <laughs> fix about this. So yeah. I'll go first. I, I wrote a little thing here before I give my rating. I just put it. production-wise, it definitely gets an A for creating something more artistic. It's not the everyday type of film we're used to seeing, cinematography-wise. The camera angles and how scenes are put together can be at times disorienting, but I believe that is what makes this a unique film. Dialogue is more on the amateur side and isn't necessarily how people would talk, but maybe that's what it was done intentionally that way. Now, as a film, it has its moments. It can grasp your attention, but there are many down moments to where it can be hard to keep your focus. The story is simplistic and easy to follow, but I don't think there was much effort put into trying to go above and beyond. The end finale scene was intense and the buildup was fantastic, but the resolve was kind of anticlimactic to me. So overall, out of uh, our rating system, I'm going to give it five stars. Um, It was a good movie. I don't really have anything... Too harsh to say about it, and but there also isn't anything I could say that was like, oh, this is great. So I'm, I think, right there with Rotten Tomatoes and stuff at like the, the 50% area. Right.
0: It's a soft movie that goes hard and then soft again.
1: <laughs> nice. When Justin really liked this movie and he's really been toting it, so I got excited about it. And when when we first talked about watching it, I found the trailer before I found the movie. The trailer made it look Awesome, But it put this false idea in my head about the movie. It kind of portrayed it as a – almost like a a fantastical horror movie, like almost like a fairy tale. And it portrayed heavily in the fact of this woman as a witch. So I went in with this idea of something, and the movie delivered something completely different on the first watch. I watched it the first time and really tried to analyze it. And I think it took a lot away from the movie for me. I watched it a second time and just watched it. Watched it as a fan and really tried to like it. I really wanted to like it. And the second time through trying to watch it as a fan, I think I enjoyed it less than the first time. The acting... And I I say this jokingly that it was Vigo Mortensen's probably <laughs> best role. But it, it it probably was. Like not having a speaking role and having to deliver oh, you can do it so much more if you're not right. and, and getting it, to have it, a focusing. sex scene with Ashley Judd. Oh man. And <laughs> <Easy>. particularly <laughs> this Ashley Judd. Yeah. Yeah. Blonde Ashley Judd is ooh, not her underarms. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. <laughs> like, oh my goodness. And that's how they explain she was a free spirit by just not uh, shaving her armpits. Viggo Mortensen was amazing in this. The character who played Jude Lauren Dean, oh, yeah, yeah Jude. was fantastic. Ashley Judd's acting
0: and there's a few questionable parts with her. Yeah, that I thought.
1: Ashley Judd's acting and Brandon Fraser's stuttering acting just kind of fell short with me. Yeah, cinematography wise, the shooting of the scenes were. Some of the angles and some of the choices they made were beautiful, but the saturation and some of the lighting choices they made, and it could have been just me being colorblind, really took me out of it. So it was
0: too did you much write, for me. Did you where did you watch it on?
1: I watched it off of YouTube. Gotcha. I I bought the the standard definition.
0: I don't know if they recut it because they I forget the the company that release re released it. Back in like 2009 or something like that. But they yeah. brung the colors up and it's yeah, not the same thing. It, so it was it been that one.
1: super, super high contrast, super saturated. Everything was so bright. And I think they were doing that to emphasize the moods as the way that I, I read an article. Yeah. That's why they did it like that. They you wanted can... to make it more, more fantasy and more fairy tale-esque. But for me, it just took me out of
0: it. so See, I haven't seen that version of it. And I think the regular, the, the original does it well. It's not heavy. Right. Because, I mean, I grew up on that one, and I think if I would have watched it outside of that, it would have came off differently. But Fair enough. Did fair you enough.
1: give your stars? I, oh. I'm, I'm about to. Oh, okay. All that being said, I think I would have to give it a 4 out of 10. Aw. So collectively, That's... we we hit a
0: 9. Give or take. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'll probably carry most of this here. But um, But I will say this. The movie itself got a two.
1: The fact that this movie made me get super nostalgic for Twin Peaks and made me remember how much I love David Lynch gave it an extra two points. So that's how I got the
0: four. Oh, man. You just wiped your feet with it.
2: (laughs) My whole thing with this is supposed to be kind of digging into stories on set and looking at it from the director filmmaking part of it. This was a tough one because uh Philip Ridley. There's not much out there with him about this movie, oh. and he he doesn't have many movies to his credit. Like I think he has seven directing credits and eight or nine writing credits, and that's it. And he hasn't done anything since two thousand nine.
1: Well, like, yeah, this was like his his second to last film that he did. Well, this and, and this one I just think, came out to go to Cannes. Like this wasn't yeah. supposed to have a major theatrical yeah. release this was just, was a just supposed to be like a
0: b-rated rated type of thing
1: and it was like you said it was so close to being just like if it had a good cans release it was gonna go it could have went on screen but
0: it just didn't show well so yeah and i can see how a lot of people will give it like that mediocre rating i think if you were more analytical and looked at it from the storytelling i thought philip really's storytelling was pretty up there the the use of not just the story. With the, the visuals and the props and all that, I think it tells a greater story, which we'll get into in a bit, but is there any more before we
2: dive um, in? No. I, I think, um, you know, Lonnie had kind of said, too, the the cinematography and the angles that he chose were unique but also very amateurish. And and, that, and that's not saying anything bad. Like, I, I believe some of the angles he did were they're not angles you see in every any kind of movie but at times it's like some of the 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 cutaways and the things they would do it just seemed like who would think that way like why would why would you edit that way like it made it like i said before disorienting at times just some of the things and the build-up and then how it would you'd have like this build-up and it would be right in the middle of like the part where he's like masturbating watching her or whatever uh, on the through the crack or, or whatever of the barn he's staying in it's in a cold clothes and then that. it's yeah. just like day five yeah. <laughs> and it's just like what the fuck no like you, you're you're leaving me hanging there um <laughs> him too but yeah but he finished it's what i find interesting is ridley's i mean back in in 95 he wasn't anything super big right. and yet he's got brennan Fraser, who at the time was Fraser, Brendan Fraser. shut the fuck Fraser. up like I'll a rate, it like Brennan Fraser, it's like a um, racer,
1: but Fraser.
2: But like he was on the up at this point.
0: Yeah. Ashley Judd kind of was too. She was like a year before. Was it the Cuba Gooding one, not Double Jeopardy? Ah, no. To Kill? No, never mind. It, it, I'm looking. But he he had like a, a pretty big, not really big, but he had an
2: all star cast. And if the rest of his stuff that he had out there was anything like this, I I don't understand how he got so much backing for this movie. And I don't feel like he worked with them on... like To me, I feel like it was a one-take thing. Like, I'm going to set the camera up, action. And whatever they did, and they said, good, cut, moving on. I'm interested to see what your thoughts was on um, Grace Zabriskie, the actress, her character. And sorry, I didn't write characters' names down. I thought she was fucking terrible. Roxy. I thought she was the way it was she was portrayed to me was like that day the actress that was supposed to play that part bailed (laughs) and there's like hey
1: come here and she did the worst accent overacting and yeah well i can probably fill that in and i'm sure justin could as well but that's where the love for david lynch and twin peaks comes in because she is iconically known for her role in twin peaks and they basically, like, if, you've, if you're if you a Twin Peaks fan or if you're a David Lynch fan, this movie was a love letter to David Lynch and to Twin Peaks. It's basically, if you mirrored these two, it would be disgusting how close they are. And Grace is such a figure in Twin Peaks and David Lynch cinema. The character is so similar from her work on Twin Peaks to The Passion of Darkly Noon. They wanted that resemblance. I never so. watched Twin Peaks.
0: There's so. only one of the bigger overactors I couldn't really get into was the Quincy character. It's like he was just so amored with amored with like death and I loved him. Yeah. I mean, he was funny. He was witty. Uh, he was like, so if you un- leave him by himself, he'll keep going. So kind of unnecessary. But it's like, all right, man, like pull the reins back. No, so, so but,
1: unnecessary.
0: But no, so I'm gonna break it down pretty much scene by scene here. Yeah, so you kind of start off with, what, thir- or 12 days, 13 days? And each day kind of has, like, its own theme. So starting off, it, it starts off with a desolated scoring as it follows Brennan Fraser's Darkly Noon trudging through the, the rocky and woodland terrain. He's looking pretty broken and beaten, and the simple scoring, it plays to the desolation. It's using, like, the single instrument plucking, like, dun-dun-dun-dun, dun-dun-dun-dun. And I think that, yeah, I think that carries a lot to it. How did you guys find the opening? <laughs> It kinda of, kinda of like the Dead Don't
2: Die. The opening kinda of grabbed my attention, like, Oh my God, like this is gonna be insane. Great. And then it was like right. then it got to the movie and I'm like Oh. Yeah, what okay. it
0: looks like is he's he's pretty much going through a force and he's, you know, tattered and, and all this suit and suit. Yeah. That. So he's always dressed to the well, I don't want to say dressed to the nines, but he, he dresses pretty tight like the entire time. He he's coming from a cult like family in a small little area that um, was just, it, we'll get into that in a bit. And too, you see his ass and ballsack. Yeah, we'll go into that.
1: You do get to see a peak of ballsack. Yeah. yeah. ballsack, sack. Not right a there. peak. <laughs> but yeah. So
0: when he starts, he's trudging through, he falls down um, and he's pretty much out of it. Like he's trying to yeah, maintain his stuff. He's dehydration's just. Dehydration's real you know, at that point. He just experienced a traumatic experience. And Jude, dude's driving along in his truck and he halts on the brakes, nearly hitting darkly in the forest road. And Darkly comes from this, this like I was saying, cult, this cult family, which uh, he's it's, kind of conditioned. It's to, a
1: sect. It's not a cult. Yeah.
0: <laughs> he's conditioned to think a certain way. It's supposed to be like the best way. It's all he knows, and it really shows. Jude loads him up into the truck and drops a, this godly man onto the doorstep of what is supposed to be the devil, if you will. It's played. There's a few different storylines that are played, and by the end of it, you don't know which is what, so he does leave the mind to kind of put the pieces together. What I gleaned out of this probably going to be different than what you guys gleaned out of it, but... Accurate. <laughs> 100% accurate, what <laughs> you just said there. Yeah, Ashley Judd plays the character of Callie, and, who rises out of the force and her radiance. Her appearance of innocence, um, she's quick to help nurse Darkly back to health. Clay is currently absent. Clay is supposed to be the husband of... Or not husband, but the boyfriend, the, the male figure of... Callie she mentions him quite a bit but she says that he likes to go on to like these little walks into the forest walks. and walks. <laughs> walks walks these walks in the forest and he's gone for days so that's like the the first day the first day is pretty much placing of everything a secluded house in the middle of the forest creating the place and items fucking
1: Viggo in movies where all he does is fucking walk <laughs> <laughs> Stupid. Get
0: it. Get it. <laughs> but it didn't follow him. Yeah, it. It. it didn't follow him. You're pretty much in like this desolated forest. It's supposed to be look like in the in the southern parts of America, but it was actually filmed in Germany. That's so, the other thing, real quick.
2: I thought that that set that area it looked
0: like a movie set. That it did. Was built. It did. Yeah. It, it, yeah. It, it, <laughs> so, but yeah, no, it's in the woods of Germany. So abruptly, Darkly is woken by Callie holding his hand while her and Jude try to situate Darkly in a bed. Um, he had just witnessed a traumatic experience, yet her soft voice soothes him you know, and cushions him back to a resting state. She pretty much tells him to rest and ease, and he closes his eyes and goes back to sleep. This is foreshadowing a skill, if you will, of Callie's, of Ashley Judd's character. So Jude also jokes with Clay about Clay leaving. Um, he ends up loading the trucks of Coffins alone. He also drops off this new tool, which is like a long-handled chisel blade. The blade serves as a purpose. It is a powerful tool for cutting things in half. It's a kind of a coincidence, I thought, that him and the blade arrived at that house. Darkly noon and the blade arrived at the same time. Jude wants to get away, but has never done so yet. And Callie claims that she refrains from going to town for supplies because everyone has a negative assumption about her. People think that... I don't think it exposed that they think that she's a witch yet. She doesn't necessarily tell the backstory until later, but you get a story about her ahead of time. Some of the best lines that I liked right there between like the conversation with Jude and Callie. Jude says, "Does God play jokes?" and Callie says, "All the time." And then, as she says that, there's a crackle, and the distance, as though it's a response to the comment. And as soon as Jude leaves, that's when the rain starts coming down on her, and she just kind of like basks in it. She soaks in it. Are we following all? Uh-huh. Yeah. So well, she's- we're on the no. same page. All right. Like I,
1: I, I've got my. My little notes here, and you're right. I, I think Akali is a Satan character as well.
0: Right. I'm so, thinking
1: I'm thinking Jude, like in the biblical sense, I take Darkly as the quote-unquote Eve type character.
0: Yeah, I can see that. I didn't put it that way, but right. yeah. So she stumbles through his belongings where she finds a, a Bible, and she doesn't really have a reaction to it, so it doesn't speak much to the evil part just yet anyways. I think a lot of the translation with these characters are kind of mixed-matched, and you don't necessarily know what is what at what time, or if you ever even know at all. So watching it and putting together the pieces, you can kind of have two different stories from beginning to finish at the same time. She finds that the name Darkly Noon is written in the cover. So second day, this is pretty much learning the struggles of Darkly Noon. Darkly wakes up naked anew, and this is where you get to see Brandon Fraser's uh, nutsack, that you do yep. No, no that hold That you do Edward yeah, No hold But We're definitely so. Balzac Yeah <laughs> There you go He dons a coat And is fixing the pieces together Like he's trying to figure out Where he is uh, He goes downstairs And he meets Cali uh, Callie's name Actually comes from The Greek Kalos As a nickname for Calpurnia Or Calandra Callie means beautiful And lovely And Callie
1: Is uh, an expensive state Don't go there
0: Yep yeah. Don't go to Cali We're going to Cali Yeah No, so Kelly says that Clay goes for these walks in the dark. She says it helps him sort out his problems. And Clay, the name Clay is kind of a Teutonic name that means mortal. It also is an allegory for Earth. So she needs him to stand on. So she's kind of love bound or stricken, or well, they're both smitten for each other. Clay is the Earth that she stands on, and he, she is the light that shines down, type of thing. When Kelly makes darkly some food, she pulls the peach off of the plate soon after that after they meet, and it's rather seductively as she starts to eat it whereas clay is mortal she is consuming the immortality it's also a symbol of uh, peaches are a symbol of nakedness disarming setting at ease she has a knack for pretty much disarming situations so if she finds herself in a heightened situation she can pretty much use her looks her beauty her loveliness to pretty much disarm anything her peach yes That too sometimes. Beautifully I, fried blonde hair. I could eat a peach for hours. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> I, I could eat a peach for hours. You know. so, yeah, afterwards she says that his clothes are ruined, that she had to burn them, and she offers some of Clay's clothes to him. Her husband, or not really husbands, but boyfriends. They're not married. It could be a clever way of trying to control a man, putting him into another man's clothes. Mm-hmm. Darkly asks about the Bible that was in the pocket, and we've established that he, right now, that he's he's doing a little bit more talking that he has like this stammering stutter, and Darkly starts in on his religious traditions on how he got his name. He says his name, Darkly Noon, comes from two Corinthians thirteen twelve, which says, "For now we see each other through a glass, darkly," which is actually First Corinthians. A Second Corinthians says, "Greet one another with a holy kiss." They said they that his parents took a pin. Yeah, Randomly stabbed in a Bible, and the name that it stuck into was Darkly. Yeah, Darkly and Noon, so that's how they choose their names in their community. Darkly reveals that his community was slaughtered by an explosion and townspeople, gunfire, helicopters, and all that. That's why he was running through the forest. He was trying to get away. There were some townspeople who were causing issues, and when they went to go get the authorities, everything just kind of went haywire and pretty much slaughtered the entire town, and he was the only person to uh, escape. So Callie takes pity and understands the feeling of pretty much being a, a casted out, or an outcast. So she allows Darkly to stay in the barn where she tells him that she once lived. And this starts the third day. He's coming to ease a little bit. Um, they establish the rules, the sins, the threats, etc. His temptation is tested on this third day. Callie is in a short dress glistening in the sun. He offers his charity to help her fix up the house and she begins to call him Lee. She says, I can't call you dark Lee, so she removes the the dark part from his name and just calls him Lee. But the subtle things, she slips in her joke, she says, The whole damn house is gonna fall down, I swear of it. Are you gonna say something? You're leaving
2: out her outfit in this scene. I
0: said she was wearing a, a short sundress. That wasn't descriptive enough.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's a short <laughs> it was revealing. It,
0: it was revealing a lot of skin. A lot of... It's a very hot day. You can see pretty much for say, the entirety of the film, like they don't have air conditioning. She's there. getting lippy. Yeah, she's getting... Uh, well, she wasn't wearing much. <laughs> she was not wearing much at all. Uh, <laughs> Great camera angles. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> go ahead. Back. On, on all fours on the roof of the... Roof of the mouth. <laughs> roof Where, of the Where's your house. mind at? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so and he he pretty much strolls up behind her, just taking a second to look at her, and he's kind of a... Uh, there oh. it is. There it is, yeah.
2: Thank God we have the visuals. <laughs>
0: you can catch it. <laughs> <laughs>
2: your phone is standing at attention. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but yeah, so also you find here that Darkly kind of establishes a bit of a modesty, his button-up long-sleeve shirts—he he keeps it all the way up to the top button, even on like the hottest of days. Like he, he there everybody is pretty much sweating through this. There's beads of sweat on every. Like it's a southern hot day, or at least it's supposed to look that way. Kelly is having a talk about the harshness of his ways, pretty much trying to ease him back. Like, hey, we don't do things like that here. She says, "God can strike me down dead," and a shotgun blast is fired upon the front porch. In a fit of emotions, she fires back. She grabs a shotgun from from the house and starts firing back. It
1: wasn't a shotgun. It was a. It was. Uh, it was a twenty-two.
0: A twenty-two shotgun. It's not a shotgun. <laughs> she grabs a firearm. Rifle. And... Yeah. And um,
1: you were the one in the military. You should know your fucking guns.
0: I didn't fire a, a shotgun like that.
1: <clears throat> Obviously.
0: But yeah, no. She fires back, exclaiming that she isn't hurting anybody. You notice here that she also kind of seems to, and this is what I was getting back, like when she was easing darkly to you know relax and try to rest and stuff like that when he came into the house what she kind of speaks and she speaks into existence asking for a smile from darkly she speaks aloud saying clay come home you can tell darkly is holding back his temptation still that was day three the fourth day starts and this is pretty much where darkly pulls back a few layers he learns more of her and he pulls back some of the layers of himself trying to not necessarily drop his ways but reveals more. So it starts with Callie and Darkly in the kitchen drinking some lemonade. Callie rubs an ice cube across her neck and chest. It comes off very sensual. At least Darkly reads it that way. Yeah, so she leads Darkly to a natural spa where she undresses to her undergarments and Darkly insists that it's a sin, as with he has done with everything else. Everything's a sin. You shouldn't do that. It's a sin, smoking, et cetera. Darkly watches her as usual. She enters the water and submerges. Her beauty is always radiating. There are cracks in his discipline, you'll notice right here. Her light kind of seems to shine its way through. It seems to be a dark temptation in the most innocent way. Callie gets a bug in her hair and asks for Darkly to try to remove it, and you can tell right here that he's kind of enjoying it. She gets close, and he starts picking his fingers through her hair, and like he's closing his eyes, and it's almost... Well, it's seductive. It's, it's it's almost orgasmic. It's yeah, it's pleasurable for him. He's enjoying it. But there is a shame that kind of weighs heavy on him in his efforts. His distraction ends up killing the dragonfly. Right. So he's trying to pick the dragonfly out of the hair and just yeah. orgasms all over it. And then he yeah. and then she shows him her favorite spot. One second. So dragonflies. Dragonflies, they they learn to scurry across the water surfaces it's kind of like a strong symbol of looking beyond the surface of a person or situation. The totem of a dragonfly brings insights of adaptability and transformation and the beauty and aerobatics of the dragonfly were considered the perfect way to catch our attention. Dragonflies are linked with water and water is an emotional element. I think the, the dead dragonfly symbolizes his own transformative corruption. So this is kind of one of the beginning of he's giving into his ways or not necessarily giving into, but trying to maintain his footing, maintain his discipline into what he was taught. So after the spa, she takes him to the cave and says, this is my favorite place as Lonnie was suggesting. There's cave drawing stories of war painting <laughs> painted on the walls. There You also see like a red handprint, maybe bloody remaining on the wall. The cave signifies natural defenses, inherent knowledge a cave may symbolize a loss of instinctual reactions or knowledge, and some aspect in life will not turn out as planned. It could also represent a womb, a birthing, a female genitalia. She, she has played on his emotions, maybe not intentionally, but maybe as a natural display. This is kind of just her nature is sexual as a woman. Callie states the the cave is right at the middle of the woods, and there is a beautiful shot where I thought this was probably one of, one of the more creative shots where she walks across the painting of, of war, and she stops casting her shadow over the the handprint, the, the red handprint. It was red. I don't know if you saw that, but... <laughs> sure didn't. Uh, Lonnie's colorblind for uh, the movie review listeners here.
1: I seen it, but it was a gray handprint.
0: So she finishes saying that the cave is the heart of the woods and the handprint is at the heart of her shadow. Stopping on that and delivering that line, I think, was kind of a very cool storytelling, romantic, like, it was beautiful. It was It was poetry in motion handprints are recognized in native american culture the handprint is a symbol for proficiency in hand-to-hand combat and grants the wearer energy so she has i i don't know yet if it's signifying combat for her or how she would combat something she has a ability of just easing out of things so she covers the handprint with her own with her shadow she covers it with her shadow the shadow is symbol of the self a mask or avatar to something hidden She omits the light, but there seems to be a grasping darkness over her heart. So it's grabbing her heart. Darkly says, Someone once told me that you can walk halfway into the forest, and then after that, you are walking out. And then Callie disagrees and says something like, You can walk as far as into the woods as you have a mind to go. It can go on forever sometimes. She is pretty much the shining light in that cave with the things that she is saying. Darkly confesses that he's been thinking about her and those few days that he's been there, insinuating to be something more, and she acknowledges it as though it was her workings like she's just brushed it off like yeah i know and she sidesteps it and asks him to be a part of their family and not to spoil anything and then that's when she exits and leaves him alone in the cave and it echoes back to what i said earlier the cave symbolizes a loss of instinctual reaction or knowledge and something will not turn out as planned so yeah (laughs) later the barn at the barn he takes a 10 and begins making his own little safe and a safe is meaningful to hold the things of value Maybe he feels like he's not a, as protected as he thought. So as he's trying to maintain his ways, she's pretty much disarming him and dropping his defenses. He, he dumps all the clay stuff out, and the first thing he puts in it is the Bible, and next to that is a picture of his ma and pa. In his disappointment, he has realized he hasn't walked his path. He's replanting in a way that's more adaptable, like how a metal tin is more pliable. Obviously, this is right before he jerks it to her, so maybe he's, he's strong in one way. She comes out, and he's pretty much beaten it off. Fifth day, he's he's pretty much facing his limitations, his rejections. So the next morning, he's holding a handful of white flowers, and Darkly spends the morning collecting some flowers for Callie as he's on the edge of the woods watching Callie soak up some sun. And then suddenly, you see Clay come from the other side of the screen. Fuck, uh, Clay. Clay's returned, and it crushes Darkly. He smashes the freshly picked daisies as he watches them return to the house. He, he's just, he's broken. He's saddened. Her legs are wrapped around clay, kissing him. Daisies symbolize love, fertility, and sensuality. He nearly molds the flowers like clay into a ball, so his anger. He's, he's hurt so much that he expels the ball of once beauty to the ground, but he notices this barbed wire bird where he stands, and birds symbolize freedom of flight, precision, and timing, and perspective, vision, and individuality, and this is definitely bad timing. So he's sure getting a perspective. Not only that, but he is also pricked by the barbed wire, and the timing shows the pain and beauty.
1: When I first watched that scene,
0: I totally—I
1: didn't see the barbed wire. I totally thought it was just the bird's bones, and he'd
0: cut himself on the bone. I think that's one of the things I thought originally too, but that was like when I was 10. Yeah. So come dinner time, we are introduced to Clay, who's a mute. Callie begs Clay to stay, to allow Darkly to stay, and, and he pretty much concedes. Darkly returns to his religious values and questions their marriage status. Like, why aren't you married? Like, I don't see a ring on your finger. And some sleight of hand, flirty ways, Clay produces a feather from her hair. Doing fucking magic. Yeah. He's fucking going all David Blaine in here. David Blaine, stop. <laughs> yeah, no.
1: Jesus. Jesus.
0: <laughs> he pretty much pulled a feather from her hair, acorn from her breast, and, and an egg. Callie also lays her apple core on the table. Callie and Clay then retire upstairs for some fun time, leaving Darkly at the table with a few items Clay produced playing with Callie. That's when Darkly grabs the eaten apple. In Dreams, an apple core indicates that whatever you are striving and aiming for may not be fulfilling and even harmful to you. It may also represent neglect and carelessness. Darkly returns to his room above the barn, where he places the apple core in the middle box in his safe, where we can see the barbed wire bird. We got the Bible, which is his path, the pick of his parents, which is his guidance, and the barbed wire bird, which is supposed to be like freedom and restraint. The Apple Core is also like the darker desires. So come the sixth day. This is pretty much the where he tries to encourage and amends with Clay to make maybe get married and then seeks guidance with his dead parents. He's talking to a man who can't talk back, which isn't really getting him far. So he's a guy who's kind of has like this stutter and clay barely talks. That was the fastest day, sixth day. Come the seventh day. Darkly made efforts to break from her hold on him, but the pain still remains. So Clay tries to make a bond with Darkly, teaching him some knacks. You can see they go outside of the barn, and he's flipping like a quarter around. And then that's when Jude returns with the undertaker, Quincy, and he's kind of like a humor of death. He talks so much you wish that you would die. (laughs) I loved him. I thought he was
1: one of the most intriguing characters in the whole movie. Like him and Jude... Were the heart of the movie for me, especially Jude. Jude's character had so much to offer in such small doses. I wish the movie was about Jude.
0: Oh. Here we get to see like Jude notices the glances at Callie that Darkly is striking and it pulls him out alone to go talk. So they go out away from the house onto like a little cliff and he tries to make it clear that Callie and Claire are in love, that they pretty much only have eyes for each other though she might be the most beautiful thing on earth. And Jude somehow has kind of, he's not weakened to that. He's not, he's, if he did, if he was at one point, he's realized like he has a little bit more groundingness. He goes away from like the forest, the heart of the forest, where he's more, I think he could probably be even more weakened. So Jude kind of teaches Darkly a lesson that's lost, I think, but not for naught. He tries to show him that not everything is as it looks when he asks what the egg is and darkly you know he's like what is this egg you know wh- what do you think this egg is and he's like it's prehistoric fossilized shit <laughs> i thought this was kind of a important spot cuz this is the seventh day and this is the first time you actually see darkly smile when he removes himself from Callie, he's pretty much outside of her spell
1: well it's 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 a good part too cuz it shows you that being raised in that uber christian environment it kind of takes your childhood away from you. So it's kind of that child mentality that he almost never got. He's letting that child inside of him out. Yeah. Sitting with another person and being kind of accepted as a child, being like, we're we're giggling over shit. It shows you that he doesn't have the mental capability of an adult, and
0: that really it's Pretty much they went out there, later. made some poop jokes. And <laughs> exactly, yeah.
1: It shows he doesn't have the mental capability of – to handle himself,
0: and that really goes into stuff later. Darkly and Jude end up going back, and Quincy and Jude prepare to take off. And Jude offers to come visit his new friend Darkly soon. Darkly watches Clay and Callie make love that night, which he becomes his own passage in Corinthians, the for now we see each other through a glass Darkly. This is the first time, but he only sees her he must take his walk through the forest to sort things out. So he's so overwhelmed with what he's seeing and what he's not getting that he darts off into the woods that night and doesn't come back, at least not that night anyways. So this is starting of the eighth day, and he's feeling the other side of the blade, seeing underneath the blade, confirming the duality and ignoring the warnings. Speaking of warnings, so Darkly wakes along a river to a large silver shoe. Uh, what do you guys, what was your reaction to that? what the fuck
2: is 100% my reaction to that. That's actually in my notes. What the fuck is with the giant shoe in the water?
1: (laughs) I think there is – it depends on how you take the movie. If you're thinking about it like in a biblical sense, which I think was one of the interpretations that Ridley was trying to really drive home in his uber artsy, I'm too artsy for my own good, oop, I got lazy and forgot I was trying to write a movie – I think the, the silver shoe was kind of his innocence and in his will to keep himself, because the other thing that happens later that involves the silver shoe. Right. Man. Yeah, what the fuck?
0: See, I, I mean, you see like this large floating silver shoe with a bird perched on it. So birds, again, are pretty much symbols of freedom, and the shoe is you walk in it. It's it's a symbol of movement. Well and,
1: and the bird too is his first taste of grabbing the bird with the with a barbed wire is his first taste of self mutilation. Yeah like realism that was his, type of thing. Yeah. yeah, it was his first <clears throat> release of that self mutilation that he does he, to himself later. It's that release of sanity.
0: What I found out of this this omen as I saw it. So the shoes are of movement, the silver is clarity and focus, and the water also means movement, but is tied deeply to emotion. So he needs to move on with his emotions. The bird appeared to be a raven, and ravens are teachers. So this was a confusing omen to Darkly, and he saw his out, but he did not take it. And then after that, Darkly heads towards the house, but runs into Roxy, who we find is actually the mother of Clay. She makes a comment that things can be beautiful on top, but underneath they are uglier than sin. Pretty much going back to how, like, the, the representation of what dragonflies they scurry atop of the water but there's things that are deeper here we find that the barbed wire birds are for training the dog Dottie it's asserted now that Kali is a witch this is just now confirmed and he kind of buys into it right. because it goes along with what he, his teachings are uh, And after returning Kali tries to ease Darkly saying don't believe her and stay away Roxy hates her and it's kind of like a voiceover. And this is another creative shot that I really loved. Yeah. Um, so it's a voiceover, a darkly painting, a cradle red. And the cradle may symbolize his own childlike demeanor, um, his need for security or swing back and forth of right. what to believe. Um, and red is also the color of romance and also anger. So he can't decide which way to go. Um, the movie is properly titled Passion. And Callie uses that defense of not wanting to talk about it and being the gentleman darkly is. Um, he would seem to have let the conversation in. And...
1: Right. And that's something like a lot of the, the descriptions and a lot of the stuff of the movie, a lot of the descriptors they use is erotic or eroticism when they're talking about this movie. And it's so – such small little details. It's, it can be easily missed if you're not looking for it until you watch the movie and then you're like, oh, OK, there's this. Oh, OK, there's this. It's done so smartly. It's not like
0: in-your-face nudity or – It's like at the end of this scene where he's painting, he goes and looks at the redness of his hands before he washes them off, and it's like it's covered in red paint. It's kind of consuming. It's like the beginning of his transformation. Then you go back into the barn and Darkly practices that self-flagellation, as you mentioned. It's kind of a ritual, and he squeezes the barbed wire bird, causing him to spill blood. It's a devotional ritual to pretty much tame and discipline his own guilt. In religious contexts, mortification of the flesh is seen as spiritual discipline, reestablishing your focus to God or penance. So come the ninth day. The fire is finally starting to rise, and Callie treats him again and warns him that he needs to be careful. She's kind of still shedding that light on him, even though which was dropped, you know, and for the viewer it's not obvious, but you want to kind of like lead on with it too. So she says the wound can get infected, turn to poison, and could happen fast. Um, that's also kind of like the information that was revealed to him. So it's kind of infecting him. So Darkly finally puts up his guard with Callie, and he has many questions but can't bring himself to question her. Then he just returns to the forest to seek answers from Roxy. And she kind of explains that she took Callie in when she lived in the house, and Callie killed her husband and stole her boy. and So pretty much paints her as like a temptress. And earlier Callie admitted to living in the barn once, so that kind of explains that. Roxy reveals that Callie confided in her, saying she was barren, and she speaks to Callie's favorite place in the world, the cave. She is drawn to the womb. She can't have babies, but that that cave is pretty much the, the womb of the forest. Darkly, upon receiving the information, returns to the house, and another voiceover is shown of Darkly clearing the table. He's trying to get everything straightened out, but asking why he would ruin a family, and Callie admits that Clay's dad tried raping her and died in the act. So it seems, all in all, like... But, you, right. yeah, you still, as a viewer, don't know what to believe. Yeah, it's still a... You're still wanting right. to like be... Both stories are as believable as the
1: next. Exactly. You have no proof of one way or another. Right. Do you believe the hermit in the woods, or do you believe
0: the... Clay, he ends up fixing the radio, and the song called Look What You've Done to My Skin comes on. Perfect song. That song was also written... Both of the songs in that movie were written by uh, Philip Ridley and another guy, but... Yeah, that's when Clay and Callie go to be free, and Darkly cannot help but feel hurt by his away heart, so he tries to contain himself with self-flagellation again. He storms off back into the barn and finds some more barbed wire, and like the barbed bird, he tries to train himself. He's been biting too hard. So then come the tenth day, two more days. So washing away the old, letting the child inside die. This is what the tenth day represents, at least to me. So Darkly is guarded. His emotions are tattered. He's giving Clay... No honest answer, even though Clay is trying to ask him, like, what's wrong? Like, you know, like, well, in his non verbiage, he's dressed in a coat all day. Uh, at dinner, he is short with his answers and storms off once again before knocking over his milk, kind of like crying over spilled milk to be upset about things that cannot be undone. That's what the meaning of spilled milk is another awesome symbol. He also throws his napkin down, kind of like thrown in the towel, like he's given up on who he is supposed to be. He's starting to abandon the efforts he's worked so hard to maintain. He's coming. Pretty Much out of character, then there's this unique shot. I think Jeremy might have something to say about this one. It's a kind of a close up the of a cover f- shot, yeah, yeah, close up of focus on the like the left side of Darkly, and left means sinister. Um, he stands off the porch on the dark, and she stands on the step in the light, extending her help once again. Um, she steps down to meet him, but uh, he's become so closed off to like any attempts on her part, yeah. yeah I, 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 I that
2: was a note of mine was that. That shot
0: specifically
2: it was it was
0: a bold shot unique. that didn't yeah. It was a bold
2: I, shot that didn't it was a strong insert. It's very again, amateur looking, but it was unique. I hadn't seen a shot like that before and right. it was just it, it's an uncomfortable to me that was kind of like the the turning point. you, you deep down you knew Brendan Fraser Fraser's character <laughs> was going to uh snap at some point, but I think that shot right there pinpointed it that okay he's a different person
1: now and shit's about to go off the deep end as for the shot itself the way he was in focus and she was in focus there was a blurriness to his focus like it was almost two layers they put together from a photographer's standpoint to get them both in focus they would just have to have like a higher f-stop or Uh a higher field so to go with how they were focusing things was curious to me like it was an interesting cinematography i guarantee you that shot took a while to set up right like it, it, it it was an interesting cinematography choice to to run it like that rather than just try to get the visual fields correct right i, I think it was well done it was a it, it was, was a great, great shot yeah great image just to put that little bit of fuzziness around around darkly was just it didn't take me out of the moment, but it just kind of – it was one of those on the first watch. I was like, huh, okay. That was an interesting right. choice. Yeah. When I watched it the second time through, It, like I said, it didn't take me out of the moment, but it was a, huh, okay, interesting choice.
0: Yeah. Right. So this scene also is kind of when Clay comes out. She's not necessarily liking Darkly's – pretty much what he's saying back to her. Like his whole demeanor is off. It's totally different, and this is also the first time you see Darkly kind of mimicking. Like Clay tries to do something, and Darkly – Kind of, I you don't know, like right. makes a makes a gesture back that is very off the mark. Like, it's not his character. Right.
1: And that's also the first time he says, do you want me to leave? Right. That's the first time he brings up that he's
0: not welcome anymore. Yeah. So after they go back inside, he walks off, like storms off. He screams witch. He's like, witch, witch, witch. You know, and like, it begins to rain. It's kind of like washing away the good. So 11th day, the final straw. This is pretty much one of his breaking points here. Darkly wakes off the rock cliff. You know, he's on like a rock cliff as, you know, the sun is already up. Um, there's fire ants crawling all over him. He, it's kind of suggestive to being consumed by fire. Being, Horrible CG. Yeah, being close to the edge. <laughs> yeah. Close to the edge, off the brink. Like, that's kind of what I thought of the opening of this. He also enters Roxy's trailer to find Roxy mourning the death of her dog, Dottie. And then they try to do like a little, you want to call it a ritual, to so like send him off. They it's- find that boot or that, that the shoe again. And darkly watches the burning shoe. shoe. Yeah. (laughs) So they use that as like a pyre. As they're watching the burning shoe on the water intensely, like both of them are just kind of like craze. It's consuming both of them. Right. The water is a symbol of the unconscious, and walking over it in dreams can mean passing an obstacle, (laughs) giving one the ability to accomplish something otherwise unable. Water is an element of life or birth, and the fire is a symbol of rebirth, a symbol of conversion. Everything fire touches changes it. Fire over water is the unconscious transformation. So the dog is dead and the shoe, kind of like walking with death. Before, the shoe seemed to be a warning. It is even more a symbol of danger now, more than ever. And it's nearly hypnotic to both Roxy and Darkly. Darkly is pretty much famished. Like, he hasn't eaten a few days. He's probably hallucinating, probably because of the paint fumes and stuff that they were just huffing. And this is where he sees his dead parents. What was your take on that? Was that just like, what the fuck, again? You are At what the fuck we? The the whole movie is what (laughs) the fuck to me.
1: (laughs) Um, This is where the movie kind of started getting too artsy for its own good, where he stopped making a tangible film and started leaving stuff up to interpretation. And a movie that does that is losing the core audience and starts making films for I can't say pretentious viewers, but for people who want to watch a movie
0: like totally detached.
1: Well, they want to watch a movie that they can hold over other people's heads. They're like, I love this movie because of this, this, and this. I watch movies like Step Brothers. They want to hold a movie like that, and I think this is where that movie takes that turn. And that's where this movie loses a lot of its core audience where it's like, okay, this is where the teacup ends and this is where Space Mountain begins.
0: Right. It's like the introduction of mom and pa. I thought they were hallucinations. Like I said, he was famished. He hasn't ate in a few days. He's been walking tirelessly under the hot sun. Like he inhaled the fumes and stuff, right. um, stuff I'm sure. And I don't know if it's his subconscious playing on him, but the way that his parents are talking to him, like it wants to take you out. But if you're familiar with how cult speech is, like that's how they talk. They right. make everything a presentation, you know, like come on darkly, do what you're doing darkly. There is a way, you know, like, it's theatrical. The, the I w- thought theatrical is one word for it. <laughs> the,
1: the the way I took it with the shoe is the burning of the shoe is basically the release of the innocence. So, mm. for example, what happens with Callie's mom? Not Callie's, but Clay's mom. Clay's mom. Yes, yeah, sorry. Uh, what happens to Clay's mom? She say sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just let it go. Sorry. Um, what happens with Clay's mom? is due to the shoe burning. It just affects her differently than how it affects Darkly. And that's like the precursor to everything. That shoe happens to them. And then with the end, the revelation of the small shoe, what it does to Callie. And yeah, yeah. I
0: like think the maybe, shoe
1: is more of a symbolism towards
0: Maybe even burning the shoe is kinda of like burning the ships. Like you can't go back now. Like burning the shoe is the shoe is a symbol of movement and you're halting all movement right now. Basically. So or... You gotta follow through. Changing the path. Yeah. Um, that too. When he returns back to the house, there's like some screaming and a little fight kind of pursues with him and Clay. He ends up tackling him because Darkly has like this crazed look. Like he's kind of almost gunning for her. Not, not to an extreme, but like... Yeah, then his shirt opens up and you can kind of see the barbed wire still wrapped around him and the dry blood and stuff. Uh, his flagellation is... It's Christ-like in a sense.
1: I want you gone. Um,
0: this... It was an interesting performance for Ashley Judd. Her cry here did take me out. This could have been better.
1: You <laughs> <go>. <laughs> yeah, uh, like, oh, you
0: gotta go. I'm, no comment. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah. So, Darkly Lee's going straight to the cave, and which is her favorite place. Um, he's affixed his gaze on the red handprint. Like, the way that he also left from there, like, time for my walk in the woods or whatever. In yeah. dark, in my Talk. walk in the dark. Time for my walk. In oh, yeah, the dark. that was that was
1: also theatrical. <laughs> he has two lines in this movie that were just like what? Just two? <laughs> well, no lines that were just like
0: <laughs> that doesn't go
1: purposely. Just like that's what I'm saying. Come like, on, was precisely one of them. Precisely no. The dialogue the, is his very last line of dialogue. I like that one. So did I. That's no. what I'm saying. Like that line, and then this line: the time for my walk in the dark. Lines that are just like. I could see some goth kid carving that nothing. into yeah. his arm.
0: So you got that written on the in your notebook. You know? <laughs> and anyway. So, yeah, when Jude returns and asks about Darkly, wondering why he was kicked out, and Callie gives no answers, Clay finally leaves. He tries to take a gun, but she's like, no, leave it here. And then she finally reveals to Jude, like, I didn't want to say anything to I Clay. kill him. Jude ends up finding him in the cave, tending his feelings of responsibility. Earlier, he said he feels kind of responsible since he was the one who found him. It seems as though a brotherly relationship, I would think. It comes off that way anyways. And Jude means praise or commendation. Biblically, Jude is the half-brother of Jesus, and Jesus wore the thorns, as does Darkly wearing the thorns right now in barbed wire. It's a loose contrast, but still. Jude is set on getting out of the force and just doing this right now and, and taking Darkly with him. You'll see another shot of the handprint, but it's now on the shadow of the heart of Jude in this, in this scene. After the sending off of Dottie, Roxy is back in her trailer. She's drinking, and then she's sexualizing her weapon. She takes the barrel in her mouth and her toe on the trigger. As the bang rings out, Darkly darts up. So this is the final day. Darkly enters her trailer to find her dead with one to the head. Um, his voices, or hallucinations, return, his parents edging the guidance more harsher than before. This scene was not the best scene, especially for Darkly. Like, his stutter is gone. Like, he he's not using that, you know, he's like, I don't know what to do, Ma, pa whatever and then they pretty much claim out, like, no faith without blood. So, final night. This is the the ending part here. Darkly releases all of his modesty now. From up until now, he's always been dressed up to the neck type of thing. The cave kind of serves as his womb to be born again. It's kind of christening over the fire. Uh, he paints himself red, which is the color of passion. Elsewhere, you can kind of see Callie and Clay engaging in their own form of passion simultaneously. The paint dirties the water. It was an awesome shot of like the paint, kind of like it's kind of like corrupting the subconscious. He touches the handprint of the cave where Callie once told him that that handprint says, I'm part of time. There may be nothing left of me but this handprint. So, in a way, it kind of says his goodbye. He takes up the large chiseling blade that arrived the day that he arrived and sets back through the woods. Jude is now arriving back to the cave to take Darkly, but Darkly's already gone. He's back at the house. And this, I thought, was also one of the magnificent shots because it is his passage, his uh, biblical passage, his name. So Darkly stalks like a shadow outside the house, and Callie and Clay are making love. Her attention is brought to the figure in the window, Corinthians 13, 12. For now we see each other through a glass, Darkly. They finally saw each other, and then he breaks through the window. And this is where it gets interesting. The two lovers try to fend off a crazed demon, which is Darkly... Uh, he takes his time swinging a blade, setting ablaze the house. Sparks are flying. One of the most powerful scenes. My favorite shot of this entire movie was this one. There is a 30-second gut-wrenching, blood-curdling scream. It's like, yeah, yeah I was like, fuck? fuck, yeah. I'm like, <laughs> that was intense, you know, like. I thought it was a little too much. I thought it was <laughs> awesome. <laughs> so,
1: uh, the, My biggest problem with this whole fight scene, and I don't know if you guys noticed it, but I definitely noticed it. A lot of the times he would hit and the, the power would spark. It was recycled of the proton pack from Ghostbusters. The...
0: I did not notice that. Listen to it. It It
1: bothered the fuck out of me.
0: Right before Darkly could complete his journey of cutting down the witch, she cast her spell. Midnight becomes noon, pretty much, as I would say it. So midnight is what Darkly's name is. Darkly noon. The noon is 12. The Darkly of 12 is midnight. Midnight becomes noon, the brightest part of the day. He wore the war paint, which is a devotion under the barbed wire. He closed off much of himself, yet she was still able to shine a light into the crack which stopped him in his tracks. She said, you know, I love you darkly, and right before he took that final swing, he stopped in his tracks. Then with the bang, his heart becomes a shadow. So he died from the hand of Jude and said, who will love me now? Like Best line in the movie. Yeah, So who, who will love me now? Who will love me now? Um, so everything she says, like I said, was spoke into existence, Earlier, one of the first conversations, she said, one day the whole house will fall apart, and it did. You know, go to sleep, please come back, Clay, all this. Everything was kind of coming to what she was saying. So then a circus family approaches the burned-down house. The man quotes Darkly earlier's comment about going halfway into a forest before coming out, where she replies the same line of, it can go on forever. And the family reveals that they lost their belongings in the large shoe floating down the river. So all that symbology of what the shoe might have meant is probably just... It's just bullshit. It's just bullshit, you know. They were just, just traveling. Yeah. A I giant called it at the beginning. <laughs> yeah,
1: <laughs> the shoe is no. just bullshit. And this is the whole fucking something time.
0: I've, yeah, something I noticed with, like the ending here is like the boy seemed to adhere to Callie, like kind of like a spell was cast onto him, despite her tattered condition. Like she was just looking like shite. Who Shiza? But still, seven out of ten would bang. Mm.
1: <laughs> yeah.
2: Seven out of ten. Ten out of ten
0: like I was saying Callie means beauty and lovely she is the light darkly noon means midnight he is the darkness he hasn't realized yet many conversations lead back to the concept of the forest which was kind of like the concrete concept Callie said her favorite place was the center of the forest the cave and she loves the heart of the forest the womb in analytical psychology the forest represents femininity in the eyes of a young man an unexplored realm full of the unknown it stands for the unconscious and its mysteries and the forest has great connection with the symbolism of the mother it is a place where life thrives. For the movie itself, to try to wrap it up, like I was saying earlier, it's good to have something script to paper, but you know what makes the script better? It's pretty much writing it in the font that is fitting for the characters of the story, on a paper that is fitting to the texture of the theme of the story. With the details and the footnotes and the corners, things you have to kind of look for. That's what I saw in this movie if I were to wrap it up. I think many movies tell the story with good actors that memorize their lines, but there's greater intentions behind movies like Passion of Darkly Noon with props, tools, cam angles, poetry in motion. What do you think? Sorry, what? You, I wasn't <laughs> listening. I, I'm
2: not into symbology or whatever. Like when when I watch a movie, I'm entertained by it or I'm not entertained by it. I don't I don't look for meanings and stuff like that. And that's probably, you know, like I said, I don't hate this movie. It's not a bad movie, but I also don't think it's as great as
0: how you feel about it? I, I, I I'm one know. of the select few. I'm, yeah. I'm of the elite. And I mean well, there's
1: a lot of people uh, who agree with you. Uh,
0: and there's there's no, you know, I I totally understand. It's not it's not a and, it is a middle of the road type of movie. Anybody that is listening to this that's never
2: seen it doesn't have to now because not Justin not. just gave just <laughs> it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, my honest thoughts is that this movie is a prequel to Encino Man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fucking dick Jeez, oh.
1: you're so, use that character like three times. So, if you think about it in not a Christian interpretation, but if you if you think about it in like a Hebrew version of the Garden of Eden, it can kind of go in that sense, in like a biblical sense. So, if you think about it, if Clay is like the character, well, I guess it wouldn't be a Hebrew sense, but it's like a mixture of Christianity and Judaism. And the only reason Christianity's in there because Judeoism doesn't believe in in Jesus like a prophet. But if you think about it this way, as if Clay is the Jesus figure, he's the carpenter who goes on long walks, think of Darkly as Lilith, the first woman in the Garden of Eden. Think of Callie as Satan. Think of Roxy as God. And think of Jude as Adam. The story kind of goes... Pretty well with the original telling of the Garden of Eden. And those who don't know the actual first telling of the Garden of Eden won't know Lilith and her version of the Garden of Eden. Lilith wasn't cooperative at all towards the Garden of Eden. She was easily persuaded. She wouldn't listen to God's word at all. She was just constantly giving in to temptation, even though Adam was we're here for a reason, we're here to do this, we're here to do that. So she was instantly cast out. It kind of goes along those lines a little bit if you want to put a biblical sense to it. I think from a lot of the things I read, a lot of people do give it from a biblical sense, but there's no definite yes or no in those terms. It's just whatever you want to feel about it. Like a lot of these movies, a lot of the art house films that don't have a solid reasoning behind them, they leave it up to whatever your interpretation wants it to be. That's what I feel, that's what my interpretation is, but 1,700 other people who gave it a 10 out of 10, well, argue with me. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. Like Me, personally, even
2: in my own things, I like simplistic plots, which this did have pretty much
0: a, sim, a <laughs> simplistic plot, but I don't add all these. I feel things. like when Philip really writes, like, he considers the symbology like I don't know if I would have uh, consider it more biblical or like more tarot or just basic like, right. dream esque type of thing.
1: I think that's the problem with the script though. I think when he tried to write simplistic, it was bad. I think that was the problem. Like when he when he tried to dumb it down, I think it's it not good. Like because the simple parts were the parts where you went, oh man, this is <sighs> just bad. And I think it it took Brendan Fraser and Ashley Judd – I can't necessarily say it wasn't their bad performances, which I think they did really have bad performances. But I think they were given bad direction, and I think it all came from a bad script. Their basic parts were like, here you go, do this, from a, a director who really didn't have much experience. To veteran actors and actresses it was like here do this well how do you want me to do it mm, you're good you, you figure it out well and it's I, a super basic thing so they're just gonna it's it, it's like you said earlier how did he get these big names probably they're friends with Viggo Mortensen cause I'm thinking maybe he called in some favors be. well I
2: mean he's not Ridley's not making movies anymore. No. I, so I, I, I don't Might know. Might be a reason why. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And Justin, don't take this the wrong way because we were just kind of crap good. talking on Ridley. But I see this as a type of, like, if you ever wrote a movie and directed a movie, I see this 100% as the kind of movie you would make. And yeah. I'm not saying I mean, yeah, it would be I, I, bad. I, I just see, because I know even with the Colden script, like, I, that's one thing you said about this movie, too, is that. You know, you thought I might like it because to you, it kind of resembles the Colden script that I wrote and yeah, the development of the character. Yeah, yeah I, 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 to be honest with you, I didn't really see anything Colden related in it. Um, I'm not saying if that's if you're going to use this movie as uh inspiration for Colden, I mean, that's that's all on you. I, I don't care, but I just, no, um. I forgot. I lost my train of thought there with what I was going with. And you this, can but... recast it now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> but I just, uh, yeah, you wanted to add, you know, there's a part in the Colden script that you wanted to add something. And we did for like symbology. Right. Um, I don't want to say because yeah. it'll, 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 it'll ruin it for all of our millions of listeners. But yeah, I just, I don't know. I think, uh, as I said earlier, I don't feel like there was a solid script. And I feel like a lot of the lines were probably not ad-lib, but they gave Ashley Judd and Brendan Fraser the chance to, how would you say it type of thing. And there was even a part in it where I I think I wrote up my notes where Ashley Judd says the word, she's trying to say infection, and she totally messes up the word, and it's in there. And it's not, like, it has nothing to do with, like, that's how her character would say or anything. I think it was just that... Ridley's not a good director. <laughs> didn't Didn't catch it. And didn't really care. She's like a It was, so well, like, was ninety nine or nineteen ninety four. They they had spiel reels. Type of thing. I, I just uh-huh. the the dialogue is one hundred percent what ruined this movie for
1: me. Well, and it's one of those things too. If this was a huge production movie, if this was going to screen, I could see a lot of those things being corrected. But when it was just going to cans and it was just a festival movie, I could see them maybe taking their foot off the throttle a little bit and being more maybe their budget wasn't as high. They had to right. get off a little editing. Interesting thing I found out about this movie, the producer, Herbert Pale, I'm probably murdering his last name, was also the producer for Mandy. Hmm. And you can see when I when I found that out, I can you can definitely see a lot of similarities between some of the the color ratios, the the huge saturation issues and uh, some of the the angles, they're very similar, which bumped it up in some areas. Like, knowing that that style was actually a stylistic choice rather than just a, eh, fuck it, leave it. It gave me back that, okay, they're doing it for a reason. Now, what is that reason? And I applaud them for being brave and taking that choice. Just because I didn't like that choice doesn't mean a lot of people didn't. Like I said, there's 1,700... 10 out of 10 ratings on it and doesn't mean there's not 551 out of 10 ratings
0: there's, there's, there's a lot of ones and, yeah. and
2: that's <laughs> the that's the great thing about cinema is which is art every, in general yeah like e- anything's I, for every movie out there for we'll just say for the sake of this every movie out there you are gonna have a handful of people that think it's the best fucking movie out there you're gonna have a giant group that thinks no it was was a good movie and you're gonna have a a big group that's like this is the fucking worst thing ever and that's what's fucking great about it and cinema so subjective and that's also like you know as a filmmaker you it's great to know that and to have people hate your stuff and even if they trash your movie you should learn from that right you should listen to them and take into consideration like okay well, this is what they didn't like, so what can I add to my next film that'll get their attention that they might like and I'll I'll still have these people like it. So I, I mean that's what's great. Like like I said, I don't hate this movie. I don't love this movie. Will I ever watch it again? It would probably be a while. It's not gonna be I'm not be gonna be at my place. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: oh yeah. I mean like you have if you don't like something, you can turn it off. Unless you're supposed to do a movie review about yeah, it. I, <laughs> <so>. <laughs> <You can. laughs> I, and I have a feeling there's going to be a lot of those. And
1: I and like I said, I gave it another chance when I watched it the first time. I was I was harsh on it. I'm like, okay, maybe I watched this movie too critically. I watched it. I was dissecting it too much. I was getting too much of that movie watcher's head in it because when we first watched. Uh, The first one we did, Pulp Fiction. I've seen this movie hundreds of times. So I watched it with that that critic's eye. Second movie we watched, The Dead Don't Die. I watched it with that critic's eye because I've seen it a whole bunch of times. Third movie we watched, Passion to Darkly Noon. Never seen it. I've never heard anything about it. I still watched it with that critic's eye. But I didn't know anything about it. So I felt like I was so out of the moment. So I was like, oh, well, shit. Well, maybe I have to watch it again to be in the moment. Maybe I'll enjoy it more.
0: Right. Even if if you've watched like Pulp Fiction today without knowing anything about it, I think knowing today's climate, you might even see it with a different sort of critical eye. Absolutely. Or if you didn't even know anything about Tarantino. And that's kind of
2: like how I want to treat all these movies is I do want to watch them more than once, like I did with The Dead Don't Die. I watched it the first time looking for things like I'm supposed to when we watch these, and then I tried the second time watching it as a fan. And
0: so, I usually watch it just once, but it takes me like six hours to watch it. So, like, it's this one probably like, took you
2: like 19 <laughs> days. And like you probably were writing a review well before we even started announcing
0: it. But stop. Uh, yeah, so just acting, a few acting spots. Uh, I think different angles. I would have changed a few things about it. But yeah, dialogue for you. Dialogue for
2: me. And then Certain I also would have changed, I think, more death, more killings. It's not one of those movies. No, it was a specific, this is What I would do to change it, to make it a better movie, I would have a couple more bodies you would have to Jude to... keep
1: going from the beginning. <laughs> 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 I just, I just, I just think that there
2: should have been a, a few more bodies added to that body count.
1: Definitely more nude,
0: Ashley yeah. Judge. Yeah, you know, and something
1: more... about her in this role. Fuck,
0: girl made, next door. She made me feel my star. feelings. I think we needed a little bit more bollage from oh. uh, more brain. Bread
1: well, and Fraser balls. So, no, not to sound gay or anything, but there's you're probably not, going to not with whatever nearly you're enough dick in cinema.
0: We can make that like happen.
1: I, the amount of breast to dick in cinema is not nearly because I, because
0: you have two breasts and one dick. Can you usually?
2: But isn't it the rating would have to be different if there's a dick? Just like a,
1: that's so fucked up.
2: You can
0: censor the hole.
1: Yeah, like <laughs> yeah. I'd, I'd be fine with just shaft. No, just just edit the tip it's
0: like i don't want to see well, uh, well something I've, that's not circumcised oh fuck. have you seen have you no. seen unemployed
2: <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot of man ass in that so well here's some exciting news boys so our next bpt movie review episode 004 we're already gonna have a guest already a guest? we are so we're nice. gonna have a, a good friend of mine good friend of Justin. uh Bonnie, you've met him a few times. He's actually a co star and unemployed with Justin. a uh, movie we did a few years ago. John Marshall is gonna be here. He's a huge movie fan. Uh, and he's picking the movie. And we're actually gonna be reviewing the two thousand four Tom Hanks movie The Terminal, which hey. I have not seen. Tom Hanks is one of my favorite it's a actors. Good one. I've not seen that movie. I've seen I, it once and it, it makes it brother it like a brother drop a tear.
1: Once or twice.
2: Really? Well, it'll
1: be, it'll be fun.
2: We'll, we'll be reviewing that. We'll have John
0: here in a couple of weeks. I'm going to predict it. It's going to be. Well, if I say it out loud, it's going to. It's going to be a four star for him. We
1: got <laughs> for me. Yeah. Okay, well, well we've got we've got John's next choice. What what do you got on the roster for?
2: Uh, so after that, I'm going to pick it, and I'm going to go with a uh, 2006 movie called Alpha Dogs. Oh,
1: nice. So. I know my next one after Alpha Dogs. We are gonna watch. I can't, I can't think of the year off the top of my head, but we are gonna watch Stand by Me.
2: Ooh! Oh. And Justin's gonna. I'm gonna do one of my Darkly favorite. Darkly Noon Part Two. <laughs> We're gonna watch
0: Darkly Noon again, Dilly. You guys love it. Darkly Noon Thirty. <laughs> you gotta watch it again. You gotta see what the difference is. <laughs> one of my favorite. The Blu-ray uh, cut. <laughs> one of my favorite scary movies. Uh, Barney's Grand Adventure. It will fuck you up, dude. All right. Well, I'm looking forward the title? to it, guys. Barney's Barney's
1: Gran- Great Adventure fucks <laughs> you up. <laughs>
0: uh, Bam. Um, so uh, let us know what you guys think of Passion of Darkly Noon. Leave a comment, uh, share, like, or dislike, and subscribe. Do that. Yeah. Um, anything, boys? No. It's a pleasure, as always. I enjoy these these nights. and Be prepared problems. to get ear molested by four of us next time. <laughs> oh, yeah. All right. Have a good one. In case I don't see you, good afternoon, good evening, and good night. This concludes our broadcast day. Click.